0: What's going on, historians from around the internet? Welcome back to the Old History Podcast. We're on the Old History, part of the Old History Project, where we try to just make information more available to the public. So, no real updates for the channel uh, at this time. Uh, I'm working on getting permission to go up to Rural Mount, uh, take some pictures of it, because uh, that house was built by Alexander Outlaw, who was on the committee that ratified the U.S. Constitution and he was on another committee that ratified the Tennessee Constitution. His, uh, he had a lot to do with the state of Franklin and North Carolina. He, he was just an important person. and He built a house over here in Morristown. It's on the National Register. and It's been empty for a little while. He's trying to get up there and take some pictures to see what it looks like. But the company is just being difficult because apparently the boss doesn't have a phone and he doesn't have an email. You know, boss of a company, typically. All right, so with all that being said, please give my good friend Jason a look-see over at the Beard Guy and Friends. Uh, always takes care of me. He'll take care of you too. And again, that's the Beard, the Beard Guy and Friends. All right, so let's just take a quick pause here and we'll get right into it. All right, so this podcast is gonna be about the continental, continental Congress and the Declaration of Independence. And so we'll talk just a little bit about the First and Second Continental Congresses, and then we'll get into uh, when they declared independence right after that. All right, so the First Continental Congress. All right, so the First Continental Congress convened in Carpenters Hall, in Philadelphia Pennsylvania between September 5th and October 26th of 1774 delegates from 12 of Britain's 13 American colonies meant to discuss America's future undergrowing the list of delegates delegates included uh, people like Sam Adams um, George Washington John Adams you know two future presidents and a few others and they discussed boycotting the British goods to establishing, establish the rights of Americans and planned for a second Continental Congress. The first Continental Congress was prompted by the Coercive Acts, also known as the Tolerable Acts, which Parliament passed in early 1774 to basically say, hey, you know, we are your boss, you will do what we tell you to do. And this came right after the Boston Tea Party, and a bunch of other things that closed off the Boston port and basically made Massachusetts it basically was, tried to whip them into shape so this brought the colony more under more direct British control across across North America colonists would rise in solidarity solidarity with the people of Massachusetts goods that would arrive in Massachusetts came from as far south as Georgia and by Spring of 1774, nine of the colonies would call for a Continental Congress. Virginia's Committee of Correspondence is large, largely credited with originating the invitation. The colonies would elect delegates to the first Congress and in, so, in various ways. Some delegates were elected through their representative, colonial legislatures, or committees of correspondence. As far as Washington he was elected with other Virginia delegates at the first Virginia Convention which was called in support of Massachusetts and followed the passage of this this directly followed the passage of the Intolerable Acts Georgia was the only colony that did not send any delegates to the first Continental Congress facing a war with Native American tribes the colony did not want to jeopardize British assistance so you have to understand where George is coming from here. You know, they they needed all the help that they could get because they, there wasn't really a whole lot of, like, widespread settlements. So help would have been days, weeks away if something were to happen. You know, so they, they needed that. The Congress would convene on September the 5th, 1774. Peyton Randolph of Virginia was named president of the First Continental Congress. One of the Congress's first decisions was to endorse Sof- the Suffolk Resolves passed in Suffolk County, Massachusetts. The Suffolk Resolves ordered sit- citizens not to obey the Intolerable Acts, to refuse imported British goods, and to raise a militia. Congress's early endorsement of the uh, Suffolk Resolves was a clear indication of the mood and spirit in Carpenter's Hall so this is where we start to get into uh, the whole patriotism thing people were were tired of being pushed around so the delegates would prompt the the delegates began drafting and discussing Continental Association this would become their most important policy outcome the Association called for an end to British imports and in December 1774 and into exporting goods to Britain entirely by 1775 uh, September 1775 excuse me the policy would be enforced by local and colony wide uh, committees of inspection committees would check ships that arrived in port uh, force colonists to sign documents pledging loyalty to the continental association and suppress mob violence the committees of inspection even enforced frugality going so far as to end funeral services and parties. Many colonial leaders hoped these efforts would bond the colonies together economically. Virginia secured the Continental Association's delay in ending exports to Britain. Before the Continental Congress, Virginia had passed its own association delaying the ending exports uh, to avoid hurting farmers with sudden change in policy. The delegates would show up the delegates from Virginia showed up from Continental Congress and they united and they refused to waver on the issue of delaying the ban on exports to Britain. The idea of using non-importation as leverage was neither new nor unexpected. Prior to the Continental Congress eight colonies had already endorsed the measure and merchants had been warned against placing any orders with Britain as a ban on importation was likely to pass. Some colonies had already created their own associations, associations to ban importation, and in some cases, exportation. The Virginia Association that had passed at the Virginia Convention with George Washington in attendance. in attendance. Washington's support of using non-importation as leverage against the British, this can be traced as far back to the late 1760s in letters between him and George Mason when the colonies first started publicly supporting non-importation. Brian Fairfax, a longtime friend of Washington, wrote to him urging him not to support the Continental Association and to instead petition Parliament. Old General Washington would dismiss this, writing, quote, We have already petitioned His Majesty in as humble and dutiful manner as subjects could do, end quote. Washington, like many delegates at the first Continental Congress, no longer saw petitioning as a useful tool in changing Parliament's ways. So they had already known that, you know, it's only going to get worse from here unless they comply. So they were, they were ready to just go up in arms. You know, they tried to send them, they tried, they just tried to make them understand what was about to happen. So many delegates felt that using Continental Association as leverage would be impractical. Without ex- you know, demands of, and a plan of redress, Congress struggled to come up with a list of rights, grievances and demands. Furthermore, to only repeal laws that were unfavorable to the delegates without a list of rights would be a temporary fix to the larger issue of continued British uh, abuse. To address these issues, Congress formed a grand committee. The First Continental Congress's most fateful decision was to call for a Second Continental Congress to meet the following spring. Congress had intended to give Britain time to respond to the Continental Association and discuss any developments at the Second Continental Congress. Washington went shopping for muskets and military apparel before leaving Philadelphia for Mount Vernon. He then placed an order for a book on military discipline. The war had not yet been declared and many delegates were still hoping for redress. There was no doubt, absolutely no doubt, that the American colonies in Britain were on the edge of a major conflict and many delegates had learned of the battles of Lexington and Concord, which was in April 1775, en route to Philadelphia for the Second Continental Congress. And then we'll get into the Second Continental Congress. Times had taken a turn for the worse. Lexington and Concord had changed everything. When the Redcoats fired into the Boston crowd in 1775, a benefit of the doubt was granted. The professional Imperial Army was attempting to arrest Patriot leaders and Minutemen when they had been killed in their defense. May 1775, with Redcoats once again coming into uh, Boston, the Second Continental Congress convened in Philadelphia. The questions were very different this time. One of them was how would the colonists meet a military threat of the British? It was agreed that a Continental Army would be created. And then they, the Congress would also in turn commission George Washington of Virginia to be the Supreme Commander. Who chose to serve without pay, should be noted. How would supplies be paid for? Congress authorized the printing of money. Before the leaves had turned, Congress had even appointed a standing committee to conduct relations with foreign governments should the need arise. No longer was Congress dealing with mere grievances. It was a full-blown governing body. We weren't yet a nation, though. So, in May of 1775, the majority of the delegates were not seeking independence from Britain. Only radicals like John Adams were of that mindset. And that July, uh, uh, Congress approved the Olive Branch Petition, which was sort of a direct appeal to the king. And The American delegates pleaded with George III to attempt peaceful resolution and declared their loyalty to the crown. The king refused. ...to receive this uh, petition and instead declared the colonies to be in a state of rebellion. Insult would turn to injury when George ordered the hiring of Hessian mercenaries to bring the colonists under control. Americans now felt less and less like their English brethren. How could their fellow citizens order a band of ruthless and foreign goons to moderate the voice in the Continental Congress? It was dealt a serious blow. The season changed, hostilities continued, people wanted independence. The men, the men in Philadelphia were now wanted for treason, and they continued to govern and hope against hope that, would, that all would end well. In the summer of 1776, you know, they crossed the point of no return, and they declared independence, which is where we are now this moment had finally this everything had boiled up to the to this there was all that's this stuff we had talked about the stamp act the sugar act the intolerable acts the boston tea party you know all this anger had built up and colonial leaders and the and the crown hold on too much anger existed between the crown and colonial leaders to consider a return to the past what, what what had happened and what had been peaceful 10 years ago even five years ago that that was no longer in the in talks any anywhere colonists felt deprived by the british uh not only of their money and their civil liberties but their lives as well Bloodshed had begun a little over a year ago, and there seemed to be little chance of a ceasefire. The radical wing of the Continental Congress was gaining strength with each passing day. It was time for a formal break with Mother England. It was time to declare independence. And on June 7, 1776, Richard Henry Lee introduced a resolution to the Congress that declared the 13 colonies free and independent states. Congress did not act on the resolution immediately. And they set a vote which would be scheduled for early july in the meantime it seemed appropriate that some sort of explanation was in order for such an egregious act a subcommittee of five including ben franklin john adams and thomas jefferson was selected to choose the very careful wording such a document would have to be persuasive to a great many parties Americans would read this and join the Patriot cause. Sympathetic Britons would read this and urge royal restraint. Foreign powers would read this and want to aid the colonial militia. If the text were convincing, you know, the five would agree that Jefferson was the most talented writer. They would advise on his prose. The declaration would be divided into three main parts. The first was a simple statement of intent and Jefferson's words would echo down even today. You you still talk about some of the things he says in the Declaration of Independence, right with stuff like all men are created equal, unalienable rights, and then, you know, the pursuit of happiness. Everyone has talked about this in all points in history. So, and then to get into that, uh Drafting the Declaration of Independence in 1776 became the defining event in Thomas Jefferson's life. He wanted to return to Virginia to help write that state's constitution, but the Continental Congress would appoint him to the five-person committee for drafting a Declaration of Independence. That committee also assigned him the task of producing a draft document for its consideration. Drawing on documents like the Virginia Declaration of Rights, states and local calls for independence, and his own draft of a Virginia constitution. Jefferson wrote a pretty spectacular statement of the colonists' right to rebel against the British government and to establish their own based on the premise that all men are created equal and have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Through the many revisions made by Jefferson, the committee, and then the Congress. Jefferson retained his prominent role in writing the defining document of all American history. And he was very critical of the changes to the document, particularly the removal of a long paragraph that attributed to the responsibility of the slave trade to British King George III. He was very proud in his role of writing the the declaration and skillfully defended his authorship of this document so there are several uh, drafts to the Constitution or not the Constitution the Declaration of Independence the original rough draft was written in June 1776 and Thomas Jefferson's draft of the Declaration of Independence included 86 changes made a little later on by John Adams and Ben Franklin Other members of the committee appointed to draft the document and by Congress, you know, the original rough draft of the Declaration of Independence was one of the great milestones in American history. This shows the evolution of text from the initial composition of a draft made by Jefferson to the final text that was adopted by Congress on the morning of July the 4th, 1776. At a later date, perhaps in the 19th century, Jefferson indicated in the margins some, but not all, of the corrections suggested by Adams and Franklin. Late in his life, Jefferson endorsed the document, Independence Declaration of Original Rough draft. And there's there's a whole podcast I could make on just the Declaration of Independence. So... I won't dwell on that but everybody knows what it is every historian knows what they did just about every historian and if you don't i'll make a separate podcast on just the declaration but it's obviously one of the most important documents in history and one of the most important documents in world history you know because without this we would be where would we be we'd probably be reduced to nothing more than being labeled as a bunch of rebellious thugs who was going through their rebellious phase and that's kind of what the sons and daughters of liberty were reduced to, uh, would have been reduced to as well they would break into the houses and of uh, uh, British tax collectors and threaten them you know if none of this had happened they would just be re- known as a band of thugs. So you got to really appreciate just how far they came from just from we'll say even just 1762 because a lot of people still pledged allegiance to the British crown all the way up even past the Boston massacres and stuff. So you have to appreciate just where it come from. So let's end the podcast here, 20 minutes. Everybody has a great weekend.